0: See, see. Yeah. let's enter into his presence together, as his church, as his sons and daughters, would you surrender your hearts before him now, he wants to meet with you, let's be pouring our praise before you, he's making my story today. I saw Satan fall like lightning, I saw darkness run for cover, but the just can't get over my name is registered in heaven yes hallelujah I believe in signs and wonders I have resurrection power yes I do still the miracle that I just can't get over my name is registered in heaven yes my praise to you forever Can we declare this as a church hey. this is my testimony from death to life because grace rewrote my story i'll testify by jesus christ the righteous i'm justified this is my testimony this is my testimony sons and daughters, Bob with blood and washed in water, sing the praises of the Spirit, Son and Father. Jesus Christ the righteous, I justify. This is my testimony, this is my testimony. Let yeah. oh, oh, oh. it be our story. Yes, if yes, so you're so burning, he's not done with you yet. Yes, if I'm not dead, you will not die, Didn't believe that, church. Greatest thing. Are still to come. Oh, I believe. If I'm not dead, you're not done. Praise the Lord for life. Greater things are still to come. Oh, I believe. If I'm not dead, you're not done. Would you tell them now from your heart? Greater things are still to come. him amen yeah. Father, we worship and we praise you for this truth. Oh, we worship Jesus. Father, we thank you that you are making all things new in your mighty ways, in your love, and in your grace, God. Father, we thank you that you pour out your grace on all things. Father, would you help us grasp the fullness of this? Would we receive the fullness of your grace? Would you help us understand it? Would you let it be the foundation of our lives? Would you make it clear to us, God? It's coming clear. Now, oh yeah, yeah. Let's receive your love and mercy. I've tried so hard to see it. Took me so long to believe it. That you choose someone like me to carry your victory. Perfection could never earn it You give what we don't deserve it. You take the broken things And raise them to glow What you make him the champion over your life in this moment? You are my champion It happens in surrender Giants fall when you stand undefeated Every battle you've won, this is true. I am who you say I am. You crown me with confidence. I'm seated in the heavenly place undefeated with the one who has conquered it all. It's for you, for me. Now I can finally see it, you're teaching me how to receive it, so let all the strivings, yes can we declare this, yes this is my victory. the blood on the cross, and it's available for you and for me. Would you declare this over your life today? Yes, by your blood, the battle's won. your trust in him in this moment. Would you tell him now? Let me sing that again. My hope. My hope is built on nothing less is than Jesus' blood and righteousness You you. I dare not trust the sweetest frame upon you alone, but only trust in Jesus. Confesses to now Christ alone, Christ alone.
1: We're going to sing the last verse of that song in a moment. But right here and right now, the living Spirit of God wants to capture our hearts. And He wants us to know that He is Lord of your storm. That He is master of everything that you're wrestling with, everything that you fear, everything that causes you anxiety. And as we sing this last verse again, as Pastor Weston leads us, surrender to the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Give him your burden, and he will meet you in the midst of it. As we sing, surrender your burden, for he is Lord of all. This yes,
0: is here. God is in Christ alone. Yes, it's Christ alone. Cornerstone Weak and made strong and the Savior's love Through that stone He is the Lord Lord of all Would you give him your heart this moment And tell Christ the Lord Christ the Lord Cornerstone God, we thank you are our confidence. You are a safe place, Father. We thank you that your grace is sufficient. We thank you that your love is sufficient. We thank you that you could be a champion over our lives, over the darkness, over our enemies, God. And like a good, good father, you are always there. And you are patient and you are loving and you are kind. We know that it's never too late to turn around and run into your forgiving arms, God. And you offer a new life like we sang about this morning. We are made alive in you. We have found the fullness of life that's found in your grace and in your mercy so following these moments of worship we we would never lose sight of the significance of your grace that you would reveal truth to us that you would be close to us and that you would heal those who are hurting That you'd be close to the brokenhearted and that you would give confidence to the weak father we just thank you so much that you are a healer that you are a leader and God that you are close to those who need you father we worship you in this house and we thank you that you are in the midst and that you hear us and that you speak to us. So let us receive your word today as we pour out our praise before you. We make this our promise to pursue in worship to the end of our days as your church. We live in the name of Jesus in this place. And all God's people said, amen. Amen, church. we welcome to God's house this morning. Would you turn to those around you and make them feel welcome once more?
2: Hello, friends. I wanted to let you know this morning that even though our group sign-up sheet is no longer in the foyer, you can still always get involved and join our groups. Uh, maybe you've been feeling like God's been calling you to get connected. You can do that in two easy ways. The first is you can find me anywhere. Uh, I'll be around here on Sunday mornings. You can always call the office too during the week during our office hours. Get a hold of me. I would love to connect with you and get you plugged in. The second way is you can go to our website at mrccnow.org and there's a join a group button right there on the home page. You can click that fill it out and that'll get you started thank you so much man brent is like the jack of all trades he was up here playing guitar he does all this group stuff he's awesome does anyone not have power you guys are so hardcore that is awesome (laughs) i was gonna say if you didn't have power if you do have power we're glad you showered so uh welcome To MRCC, my name is Tyler. I am here on staff uh, as part of the leadership team. Uh, Thank you for joining us today. It's going to be a a special day. I just have a couple quick announcements. Uh, Our missions trip that we have coming up um, is kind of up in the air right now. Uh, Belize, their government, has decided to shut everything down uh, because of COVID, uh, including churches. So, uh, if you want more information on that, Pete and Donna are more than happy to get you more information, but please keep the people of Belize in your prayers and uh, just continue to pray that we can actually go on this mission uh because it's something really special to us and we want to continue to spread God's word. Uh, today after third service in room 105 is our Prime Timers lunch. It's going to be uh, 55 and older. just a A short period of time to come and connect um, with Pastor Dave and our team. Also, it's finally here. You're like, what is it? Our annual business meeting. We've been planning it for six months. As of right now, there are no plans to postpone it. But if we do postpone it and uh, you want to know about that, uh, there's a connect card in the seat back in front of you. You can also take your phone out and scan that little sticker and just update your information uh, so that way we can just connect with you guys. Pastor Greg's coming up to bring the word. Open your Bibles to
1: Colossians chapter 1. Thanks, Ty. Appreciate that. It's a little early for the Power Out adventure in Colossians, isn't it? A little bit early for it, but you know, it makes us so appreciative of how blessed we are. I don't know if you know this, but there's about a dozen people who are part of our church who are PSE workers, and a lot of them are working right now to still get people uh, restored to their power. Now, I I heard from them on the inside that very deliberately they always make Buckley last on their power outage. (laughs) So if you're in Buckley and you're still... No, I'm kidding. Uh, Ron and I were blessed yesterday when just a half hour before the football game, our power came back on uh, last night, so we felt uh, felt blessed in that way. But, you know, it's easy to take things for granted, isn't it? And then we lose it and we don't have it, and uh, and we remember that we have a lot to be thankful for. Before we open God's Word together, we have something really special to do this morning. I'm going to invite Pastor Weston and his wife, Stacy, to come join me up front here, and they've got their little daughter, Brielle, their first Dressed in her dedication gown this morning, and check this out church today, the day that Brielle is being dedicated. step right in here you guys today, the day that Brielle is being dedicated is her first birthday yeah it's today, so I think we kind of got to do a thing don't we? Happy birthday to you, happy birthday to you happy birthday Oh dear Brielle. Happy birthday to you. Yeah, and yeah, 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 yeah. And that's why Pastor Greg isn't the worship pastor. So uh, Weston and Stacy, in all seriousness, friends, you know, ha- have made the decision to come together with their church today and to dedicate their daughter to the Lord. And this is something that they don't do alone. We do this as a church family. And and each time we come to this moment of baby dedication, we remember what it's about. It's about three things. First of all, it's about the recognition that our kids do not come into our lives by random chance. God places our kids in our lives. If you are blessed to have children, it's because God chose you to be parents. We read in our Bible about how Hannah prayed for a son, for a child. God blessed her with an answer to her prayer. And in response to that, she acknowledged the Lord. She said, thank you. And today, Weston and Stacy are recognizing that Brielle doesn't come into their lives by accident. And the second thing we remember at child dedication is that Brielle has a calling beyond just being mom and dad's cute little one-year-old. God has a plan for her life, and she ultimately belongs to him more than to them. And and they're here to, to acknowledge that, to own that, to recognize that she's been placed in their lives in a special role, but that they yield her back to her maker for the mission that he has for her life. It's entirely possible that someday we'll be talking about president Brielle. who knows right awesome. uh, but that's a that's a reality joseph and mary brought their son jesus to be dedicated at the temple having no idea how big his calling was and, and today weston and stacy come and they offer Brielle to the calling that god has for his li- her life and then the third thing is that they recognize and they want to dedicate themselves to raising their daughter to know God as, their fa- as her father, to know Jesus as her Savior. And, and their dedication today is of themselves to her, to raise her in a Christian home. And, and friends, this is where you and me come in. Because Brielle is going to grow up and learn about God from us. She's going to hear our conversations in the foyer. She's going to see or not see our love for one another. When we're volunteering in children's church, she's going to learn from us. When she's in youth group someday, it's going to be us that reflects the goodness of God into her life. So this is a dedication of of Weston and Stacy to their daughter, but it's also a dedication of us to them to be that family, that place where she can grow up in the things of God. So this involves all of us. So Weston, Stacy, I'm going to have you step over here a little bit more in the middle, and you've got a bunch of your family here from Nevada today to be part of this. Weston, as the priest of your home, I want to ask you to lay your hand on your daughter, and then I'm going to lay my hand on you. And church, I'm going to invite you to maybe stretch out your hand and pray with us today. Let's bow our heads together. God, we come before you first to give thanks for the incredible gift of little Brielle into their lives, into Weston and Stacy's home. God, we stand with them as they recognize that you knit her together in her mother's womb and, and that you numbered all the hairs of her head, that, that she is your idea. And we thank you for placing her in their lives. They thank you for giving her to them. We rejoice in that, and and in that, Lord, we recognize that your love for her is even greater than ours, even greater than theirs, and they come before you offering her to you that your calling for her life would be realized. God, they pledge, we pledge with them to make a place, a safe place where she can learn the truth about who you are, your goodness and your grace. God, I ask your blessing on their home, that their home would be filled with your spirit, that their marriage would be filled with their shared devotion to you, Jesus, so that Brielle would grow up knowing who you are. We ask your blessing on their commitment this morning. And God, as a church... Help us to remember that in your heart, the kids always come first, that we're to place them first. God, let us never forget that. We together dedicate little Brielle and her whole life to you, her maker, her father, and we do that together in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Woo, good stuff, buddy. Yeah. We have uh, we have a little something for you here, Stace. We have uh, her little children's picture book Bible. This is from Pastor Allison in the kids department, and this is her invitation to to kids' church when the time comes, which means, Mom, you got to let go and let her go, right? Yeah, when that time comes. But yeah, let's celebrate, guys. Thanks. Yeah, congratulations. Isn't it humbling to think that children are going to learn about who God is from the way we live together as a church? That's so real, whether we're talking about small children, whether we're talking about older kids, whether we're talking about teenagers. And and may we always, when we come together in Christ's name, remember that. It's easy to look over the kids all the time, but here at MRCC we believe that that ministry is the first and most important one in our church, and that what's happening down the hall in kids' church is more important than what's happening in here. Say amen like you mean it. <laughs> that's, that's that's real stuff. Grab your Bible this morning, if you would, and open it to Colossians chapter 1, and we're going to continue the journey that we began last week uh, all the way through Colossians over these, these six weeks of September and into October. And we're in... Chapter 1, beginning with verse 15 this morning, remember we said that it's important that we understand that God wants us to grow up to the place where we take his word on its own terms. That instead of saying, here's what's going on in the world, and let me look for a verse or two that applies... Instead, we say, God, we want to hear everything you say. We want to hear your heart, your whole heart. We want to listen as obedient kids to what you're saying. And that means humbling ourselves to take God's word on its own terms. We're doing that here in Colossians this fall, and we're in chapter 1 beginning with verse 15. If you're a parent... Do you remember that time when your child came to you with a a splinter in their hand or in their foot? You, you, You know how this goes, right? I remember when our son Isaiah was about four years old. He was playing with the neighbor kids. He took a header off of a slide, landed on a log, and drove a big old splinter into his hand. I saw it happen. I was kind of across the street, down the street a little bit in the front yard. And when it happened, he immediately burst into tears, and he came running to his dad for help, holding up his hand. And and you could see the big old splinter in there, and and it hurt. Everybody's been there. But you know what happens then when your child comes to you with a splinter in their hand and you try to help, right? You know how this goes. Help! And then you say, well, let me see it. No, you can't see it. (laughs) And we're like, well, I, I, you got to let me see it, son, so I can help you with it. No, you can't see it. Well, okay, I guess it's just going to hurt. No. And it goes back and forth like this, right? And what, what do you do as a mom or a dad? Is you, you sit there and you try to coax them. Let me see it, honey. Let me see it. And you work with them. And you know, you know that you have help for them. But the problem is they're wrestling to trust your authority. They're wrestling to surrender to you and let you have your way with with what's happening with them. And they know you're their only hope, but at the same time, they're afraid of what you might do. And, And so I was sitting there with Isaiah for, it must have been 10, 15 minutes, trying to get him to trust me with his hand. And when he finally did, of course, I took my tweezers and I got a hold of that, and I pulled it out. Oh, what relief he experienced in that moment. Didn't mean that the next time he got a splinter, he was easier to deal with. But in that moment, he experienced that blessing. Now, I tell that story for this reason. In this passage of Colossians, the Apostle Paul wants us to recognize the authority of Jesus. The authority of Jesus in our lives. Because when we do, when we recognize his specific authority, then we experience his blessing. Paul's going to talk a lot about the magnitude of who Jesus is. And it's important to grasp because very often we retreat from his specific authority in our lives. And when we do, then we cut ourselves off from his blessing. Until Isaiah gave me his hand. I couldn't set him free from the splinter. And the same kind of struggle goes on inside of our lives. Let me ask us this morning, let me ask you as your your fellow human being, your fellow follower of Jesus, how much specific authority does Jesus have in your life? How much authority over your tongue? How much authority over your finances? How much authority over your sexuality? How much authority over your attitude? How much authority over your work? How much authority over your schooling? How much specific authority does Jesus have in your life? Sam Broffman is the owner of a, uh, and CEO of a huge multinational corporation. And he tells a story about entering a crowded conference room for a big board meeting. And he was in a hurry, and he'd got there a little bit late. And so he, he rushed into the room, sat down at the first available chair, and said, all right, ladies, and gentlemen, let's get going. This meeting is called to order. Well, when he did that, uh, his young assistant came over and, and pestered him and said, no, Mr. Brumfin, your seat is at the head of the table. You, we need you to sit up at the head of the table. Sam says he turned to his assistant and said, son, wherever I sit is the head of the table. <laughs> In the same way, Jesus wants us to recognize his authority because when we do, then we experience his blessing. That's what's on the Apostle Paul's heart as he writes, beginning with verse 15 of chapter 1 of Colossians. Follow along with me and hear what he's saying. Paul writes, verse 15, chapter 1, the Son, Jesus, the Son of God, is the image of the invisible God. He is the firstborn over all creation. That's a phrase that's often misunderstood. We're going to talk about what it means. For in him all things were created. Things in heaven or on earth, visible or invisible, whether thrones or rulers or powers or authorities, all things have been created through Him and for Him. He is before all things. We're talking about Jesus here. He is before all things and in Him all things hold together. And He is the head of the body, the church, the body of Christ. That's us. He is the head of the body, the church. And he is the beginning and firstborn from among the dead. Another easily misunderstood phrase. We'll break it down in a moment. So that in everything, here it is, he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. Now, let's pause and take a breath for a moment there. When we read that, when we hear that, we conclude that either the Apostle Paul is the most over-the-top marketing agent the world has ever seen, or he's talking about something incredibly important and significant. And in fact, it's the latter. Let's take a moment to break this down, because just like with my son, We wrestle to trust God's authority and then cut ourselves off from his blessing. We wrestle sometimes to accept the reality of the authority of Jesus in our lives, the specific authority, and in so doing, we cut ourselves off from his blessing. Paul says some powerful things here. Let's understand them. First of all, he says, he is the image of the invisible God. Now, In our 21st century technological context, an image is something we think of as being less than the real thing. We talk about an image in a mirror or a picture or a photograph or some kind of graphic representation. But that's not the idea the apostle has here. When he says image of the invisible God, he doesn't mean that Jesus is somehow less than God. He means that he is the full expression of who God is. He is literally God made visible. Image has the sense of being able to perceive, not of a lesser reflection. The thought behind the word image is that God, who is invisible to our physical eyes, by the way, the Bible says it's not because he's too far away, it's because he's too close. That's something to think about. In him we live and move and have our being, the scripture says. But Jesus is God made visible, made perceivable to us. In John's gospel, chapter 1, verse 14, John puts it beautifully. He says, the word of God became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Wow. God became a human being, not to lessen our perception of him, but to increase our perception of him. But here's here's the problem. Sometimes when we see the human being, we assume that he is somehow less than the fullness of God. Paul is at pains to help us understand the exact opposite. For in him, God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell. Now, this is important because very often our default is to say, well gosh, I get it, the Son of God, Jesus is my Savior, but he's somehow less than God the Father. Paul is emphasizing the exact opposite here. He's before all things. Everything was created by him. In him, all things hold together. You see, what he's saying is when we see Jesus, we see God fully revealed and that's important to grasp because only when we recognize that we're not looking at a lesser version of the real God are we able to receive his specific authority in our lives. You, you know when you sometimes call customer service, right? At your bank or your mortgage company or wherever it is, you call customer service and you get trapped in that endless series of recorded automated messages and you keep pushing, but push two if you're calling from Belize, you know, push three if your hair is black and you get, keep going through this whole thing and the whole time you're desperate to get to a real person. You know, when you get frustrated, you start pounding the zero key a bunch of times just to try to make an operator come on. God says that in Christ, the operators come on. The real human voice is available to us, that we've moved beyond all those intermediate stages. To put it another way, Jesus is God made specific. That's a big deal. Because lots of people spend lots of time going in circles spiritually because they never receive Jesus for who he is. The very creator, son of God, God the son, deity made flesh. When we grasp that, then we immediately begin to understand how great is his authority. Whatever he says is the last word about everything. When we don't recognize this, we collect a bunch of pop culture and movie ideas and add some stuff we made up on our own on a road trip, and and then we're surprised when God doesn't act in accordance with the cartoon that we created. Paul says, no, no, when you see Jesus, you see the truth. A couple of months ago, I had to fix the toilet at our house. Now, I am not the handiest guy in the world. Can I just confess that? When I set out to fix something at our house, my wife gets a worried look on her face. I said, she said, the toilet's broke. I said, oh, I'm going to fix the toilet because it's Saturday and I'm feeling extra special husbandly. I'm just going to do this, right? She says, are you sure? <laughs> I said, yeah, I to I got this. And so I figured well, I'm going to show her that I'm almost 60 years old now and now I can be handy around the house. Well, it didn't turn out so well. Uh, first thing that I did was ran down to the hardware store and bought a kit to repair my toilet. When I came back, it was when I realized that it was the wrong kit for the wrong toilet. (laughs) And this started an all-day Saturday saga. I ended up making four special trips to the hardware store that day, two times to buy the wrong kit, the third time to buy the wrong flusher arm, and the last time to buy the screws that I broke when I tried to force the wrong flusher arm onto the toilet. It would have been so much easier To start by getting the real thing, pulling out the kit that was there, going to the store, saying, I need an exact copy of this, then come back and put it in. Well, that's what we get to do when we pay attention to Jesus. He is the whole and full truth of who God the Father is. That's what Paul is emphasizing. There's no difference. There's no, he's not a lesser version of God. When you and I see Jesus, we see God revealed. Luke tells us in his gospel, chapter 9, verse 35, that the only time the father spoke audibly during the ministry of Jesus, his message was very simple. A voice came from heaven and said, This is my son. Listen to him. When you hear him, you're going to hear what you need to know. This is my son. Listen to him. You know that feeling when you finally get through all the automated voices on the customer service line and you get to see a real person, you get to talk to a real person. That's what we're meant to feel when we see Jesus. That's why Paul lays this on so thick. He wants us to understand the authority of this man because when we do, then we're able to experience his authority and the blessing of it. Then we're able to take the splinter in our souls and come to him for healing. That happens when we recognize his authority. And Paul uses some other phrases here to to emphasize this that are kind of strange to our modern ears. He says he is the firstborn over all creation. We hear that and sometimes we think, well, he he was born so he's somehow not God because, you know, the Bible is saying emphasizing born. No, no, the phrase firstborn in the cultural context of that day means that he has authority over the whole household. In those days, a firstborn's word after uh, the father was absolute. He had authority over the entire household, all the businesses, everything. So when God says that the son is firstborn over all creation, it's emphasizing his authority. It's emphasizing that Jesus holds the authority over all of nature. You know, sometimes we live as if what happens in our environment will be the last word on us. Jesus says, no, what I say is the last word. I'm in control even of all creation, and I speak with the Father's authority over all creation. Again, lots of times we fall into the trap of underestimating Jesus' authority, and as a consequence, we not only cut ourselves off from his blessing, but we put ourselves in danger. You know that I'm a history nerd. If I can share a story with you this morning. In 1868, the Ethiopian emperor Theodore, in a dispute with the British crown, decided to take prisoner the British ambassador. Now the emperor figured he could get away with this because his palace was on top of a 9,000 foot high mountain in the middle of East Africa, sheer cliffs on three sides, a fortress built at the top. He thought to himself, I can take the ambassador captive and and I'm beyond the reach even of the Queen of England. He, He was wrong. History tells us that the first thing the queen did was plead with him said, uh, Emperor, please release my ambassador so that we can go forward with peaceful relations. You know, we don't want to overreact to this, but you got to let him go. The emperor, thinking he was beyond her authority, refused. That's when Queen Elizabeth dispatched 32,000 soldiers with 44 elephants, three dozen heavy artillery pieces, and an army of engineers who sailed to East Africa, built a dock and a pier, built a railroad all the way into the interior, built a whole series of water treatment plants to sustain the army on its march, built multiple bridges over multiple rivers, built an entire telegraph system from nothing, spent millions of pounds, and suddenly, Emperor Theodore. Or who thought he was beyond everybody's reach was facing this British army. Asked if he thought he had underestimated the queen, he said, yes, I think I did. <laughs> now, wonderfully, he recognized her authority in that moment, released the ambassador, and there didn't have to be bloodshed. But afterwards, he confessed, I underestimated the queen's authority. Many people do that even today. They say to themselves, well, Jesus is a long way off. Jesus is a historical figure. He's a faraway way. I don't answer to him. The apostle is at pains to help us understand that we do. To rebel against him, God made specific, is to rebel against God. To surrender to him is to discover who he really is. A savior. The queen didn't want to destroy the Ethiopian emperor. He wanted, she wanted to have peace with him. And in the same way, that's what God desires with us. Jesus in John chapter 3, verse 17 and 18 reveals the father's heart when he said, God did not, catch this friends, God does not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, But whoever does not believe in him stands condemned because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. He is God made specific. Again, most people think there's some fundamental difference between Jesus and God, but there isn't. That's what the apostle is writing about. Let me challenge you do you let Jesus get specific with you about your tongue, about your treatment of your neighbor? about your marriage, about your parenting or your parents, about your financial life, about worship? Do you let him get specific with you? When you let him get specific with you, you experience the blessing of his lordship. And I remember years ago when uh, Ron and I were just a young married couple, didn't have much money at all, and And I had fallen into the habit of often going out for lunch. I was going to McDonald's. I was going to Wendy's. I was going to these places all the time. And it was was draining our bank account. And Rhonda said, honey, we can't do that. You've got to not do that. And we got into this... I got into this ornery mode where I was doing it anyway and not telling her and then eventually it would come out. And, and, you know, her request was a legitimate one. Hey, make lunch at home. Don't go out. But, I, I, you know, I just I wasn't cooperating. I didn't recognize her authority. And then one day, I'll never forget it, I stopped for lunch, I went into a, I think it was a Wendy's, I sat down to have lunch, and I had promised Rhonda that I would make lunch that day, I didn't make lunch that day, so I went to Wendy's, and I'm sitting there at the table, and I did what I always do at lunchtime, I opened my hamburger, I bowed my head, and I said, Lord, thank you for this lunch today, I know that everything comes from your hand. And clear as a bell, the Holy Spirit said, I didn't give that to you, you're thanking me for something you took. You gave your wife your word that you weren't going to do this today. Now you're doing it anyway, and you're going to come thank me for your lunch? Have you ever had God interrupt you giving thanks for a lunch? I'll never forget it. And I sat there and realized that God hadn't become that specific an authority in my life until that moment. I went home and said to my wife, I'm sorry, honey, you're right. I'm still working on mastering the whole lunch thing, but you get the idea. You get the idea. When God becomes specific, then we experience the blessing of his lordship. How much specific authority does Jesus have in your life? Paul speaks of the Lord's authority over invisible thrones or powers or rulers and authorities, and we could take a lot of time and get into this, but in a nutshell, it means that Jesus has authority over the supernatural things that you sometimes find yourself encountering and sometimes find yourself afraid of. You may think you're the only one, but it happens to everybody. The supernatural realities are a reality. I remember being a young youth pastor and uh, a youth counselor called me up. It was about 1.30 in the morning on a weekday. I'm going to call her Wendy, not her name, many years ago. And Wendy called me up and, in, in the middle of the night, and she was frantic. She was terrified. She was afraid. She said, Pastor Greg, you got to come over. you got to help me. There's a demon in my bedroom. Now, some people would be tempted to say, there's no such thing. Jesus disagrees. Somebody else would be tempted to say, well, you know, you, you, you pull out your Harry Potter counter spells and deal with it. But I knew that neither one of those things was the truth. And so I said to Wendy, I said, Wendy, you need to understand something. Jesus has authority over the enemy in your life. You are not in danger because the spirit that lives in you is more powerful than any spirit that may seek to deceive you into thinking you're in danger. He can't harm you. He can't touch you. His authority is absolute over all these things. And Pam, if I come over to your house and and, and deal with this thing, you're going to think the authority is in me, and it's not. It's in Jesus. So, sis, I want you to let him have authority in your bedroom right now. I want you to pray that right now. She came to me. A few days later, and said, Thank you, Pastor Greg. I never knew that. I didn't understand that. I see it, it's right there in my Bible. I'll never be afraid again. Yeah, when we receive Jesus' specific authority, then we receive his blessing. How much authority does he have in your life? And and I asked that question. We're turning into the home stretch now. I asked that question for two reasons, because there's there's two very concrete realities that flow from our receiving his authority that I want to touch on before we close today. When you receive Jesus' specific authority, then he enables you to identify all the many, many lies about God that fill our world and culture. There are so many. This has been the devil's game from day one, to spread lies about God. Jesus is the truth about God. And the way we identify the lie is by testing it, comparing it to Jesus. Sometimes sincere Christians don't practice what the Bible calls discernment, which is testing any ideas about God against Jesus. You ever gotten one of those emails that says, you have been chosen to inherit $5 million from a Nigerian king who's, you know, just about to move to wherever the Nigerian king moves when he gives you his inheritance. Or, or you get that email that says, all your accounts have been locked. The FBI is investigating you. Click on this link so you can resolve this problem now. You know the stuff I'm talking about, right? Well, we know better than to click on that stuff, right? Right? Okay, somebody calls you up and says, oh, you know, all that you just say, no, you hang up, you move on because it's not real. In a moment like that, what you're doing is exercising discernment. You're saying to yourself, hey, if you've locked all my bank accounts, why do you need me to give you my bank account number so you can unlock them? You know, you just exercise a little bit of discernment. And we are called to do that with every idea that we hear about God that's thrown at us through social media, through movies, through popular music, through your neighbors just carrying on over the fence, through the chatter that you get into on the road trip. We're meant to test all that stuff against the reality of who Jesus is. He is the authority, all the fullness of God dwells in him. Writing to the church at Corinth, the Apostle Paul talked about uh, sometimes our tendency not to do this. He says, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3, he says, I'm afraid that just as Eve was deceived by the serpent's cunning, your minds may somehow be led astray from your sincere and pure devotion to Christ. Because if someone comes to you and preaches a Jesus other than the one you received, same name, different person. If someone comes and preaches a Jesus other than the one you received or a different gospel than the one you accepted, you put up with it easily enough. In other words, you don't exercise discernment. You just kind of go with the flow. He says you need to exercise discernment. Jesus is the test of the truth about who God is. And, and Paul says that the, the, the bad guys, they don't look like bad guys. He said they, they, they come off pretending to be good guys. Jesus called them wolves in sheep's clothing. Here's how the apostle describes them in the same chapter, chapter 11, verses 13 and following. He says, such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, masquerading as apostles of Christ. And no wonder for Satan himself masquerades as an angel. light. doesn't look like a bad guy. He pretends to be a good guy. And it's not surprising then if his servants masquerade as servants of righteousness, their actions will, or their ends will be what their actions deserve. You see, all we have to do when we hear somebody express an idea about God is say, does that line up with Jesus? (laughs) Is that what Jesus says? Is that what God's word says is the truth about Jesus? By paying attention to the real Jesus, we're always able to identify the imposters. Let me just g- challenge you, friends, to, to, to engage in this practical habit. When someone suggests to you, anyone, that something is the Christian thing to do, ask them where the Bible says so. If they don't know, stop listening. <laughs> if they make up something crazy, stop listening. The test of who God is and what God seeks and wants is Jesus and his word. My favorite quote for 2021, I shared it a couple of months ago, is from a Baptist pastor named Vadi and What he said was this, the Lord told me is no substitute for the Bible says. It isn't. It isn't. The test of who God is, is the word of God. And when we accept Jesus' authority, we gain the ability to discern what's a lie and what's the truth. On the night that he went to the cross, uh, on the night Jesus went to the cross, Philip, who had been following Jesus for three years, confessed that he'd never gotten to that point. He said, John chapter 14, Lord, show us the Father and that'll be enough for us. Jesus' response is, is exasperated. He says, verse nine, don't you know me, Philip, even after I've been among you such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. See, Philip had never got to that point. Have you got to that point where Jesus is that specific authority? Let me offer a few examples. People say, I don't believe in hell. Jesus does. He says, don't be afraid of those who kill the body and can't kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Nobody actually talks about hell more than Jesus. So when somebody says, I don't believe in hell, well, you know that's not person, someone who knows the truth about God. People say, what I do is more important to God than what I say. But Jesus says, I tell you, men will have to give an account on the day of judgment for every careless word they've spoken. By your words, you'll be acquitted, and by your words, you'll be condemned. People say, as long as I believe in God, the generic idea, I don't need to get hung up too much on the specifics of Jesus. But he says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to the Father but through me. And again, the reason this is so important, friends, is because when we recognize his authority, like my four-year-old son, we can come to him to pull the splinter out of our soul. But when we don't recognize his authority, we hold back. We don't give him our hand so that he can heal us. And, he, and here's the last thing, the last really important thing. Because Jesus has all this authority, we're almost done. Hear me, friends. One of the things Paul tells us is that he has authority over our sins, over your failures over your shame and your guilt and your mistakes. He has authority over them, not the person who was wronged by them and not you. You know, one of the things we sometimes say to ourselves is, you know, I know God will forgive me, but I can't forgive myself. Never ever say that again. You don't have the right to not forgive yourself. He has the last word over your sins. Your opinion doesn't matter. If you receive him as your Savior, he has the last word over your sins. Look at what Paul says. He says, once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy and blameless in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. If you continue in your faith, established and firm, not move from the hope offered to you, held out to you in the gospel. Friends, he has the last word over your sins. You may think you do. You may think your circumstances do. You may think you, the, the, your neighbor, your parent, or your son or daughter, or some friend who's become an enemy, you may think they have the last word, but they don't. Jesus does. And receiving his authority means owning that means knowing that. Lots of us feel powerful powerless when we remember our failures. We say you can't unspill the milk. We say you made your bed, now you have to lay in it. We say what goes around comes around and there's a degree of truth in that in the short term. But in the long term, Jesus has the last word over your sins and you will never know the blessing of that until you receive his specific authority in your life. That's why Paul lays all this out. That's where the emphasis is coming from. That's his heart when he writes to the Colossians. That's what the Holy Spirit wants you and I to grasp today. Let me, let me finish with a story, a familiar story, but one that touches on exactly what we're talking about. The scripture tells us that one of the disciples, Peter, who would later become the leader of the disciples once promised to Jesus, hey, if everybody else ditches you, if everybody else betrays you, I won't. I'm here with you to the end. Come what may. Difficult, hard, even unto death itself. I'm your friend, Jesus. I am devoted to you. You're my Lord. And when he said that, he believed that about himself. But it was only a matter of hours later, that Jesus was arrested and Peter was nearby and somebody said, hey, you're with him, aren't you? Peter said, nope, I don't know the man. I have no connection with him. Another person said, no, no, I've seen you. You're with him. You're one of his disciples. Peter said, no way. I don't even know that guy. And he swore an oath. He used the first century equivalent of, a, of an epithet. He swore an oath. I don't know him. Somebody else said, no, I'm sure it's you. Peter said, that guy, I got nothing to do with him. And in the moment he said that, the scripture says, Jesus heard him, saw him, looked at him. Imagine what that felt like. You ever betrayed a friend, someone you love deeply, dearly, and then walked away from that realizing that you had irretrievably broken something? That's how Peter felt. The scripture tells us in Luke chapter 22, verse 62, that he went outside and wept bitterly. It's easy to understand. It's easy to understand how he felt. The scripture tells us that after Jesus' death on the cross, the disciples gathered together to kind of comfort each other, but Peter wasn't among them. See, after that moment, He no longer thought he had a place among them. He knew what he'd done. He had personally to his face betrayed Jesus. Now the scripture tells us in Mark chapter 16, a tiny detail that's incredibly significant. It says that on Easter morning when those women came to the empty tomb, there was an angel there. The angel said, hey, he's risen. He's firstborn from the dead. He has all authority over all things. And then the angel said, go tell his disciples that he'll meet them in Galilee, just like he said. And there's two little words in Mark chapter 16, verse 7 that are incredibly significant. Go tell his disciples and Peter to meet him in Galilee. You know why those two words are there? Because if Peter had heard the message, go tell his disciples, he wouldn't have included himself. He would have counted himself out of that. The bitterness of his failure was too great. And he would have said, I, I'm not part of the gang anymore. Sure, they ran, but I betrayed him to his face. I'm not included anymore. Until he heard that the angel sent from the risen Lord called him by name. And in that moment, Peter knew he has authority even over my sins and he came and he met with Jesus and he found out how great and gracious that authority is God wants you to know the same thing Jesus has authority over your sins when you go to him with them you go to the one who has the last word who will when you receive him as your savior present you holy and blameless free from accusation before the father forever you see I got a splinter in my soul Give him your hand. Surrender to his authority. That's when you experience his blessing. Would you bow your head with me and close your eyes. God, we we thank you for your word this morning. You know, the truth of it is, Lord, a lot of us feel like Peter. A lot of us carry that shame and that grief that Peter felt. You want us to discover That your authority is even over our failures. Even over our guilt and our regret and our shame. God, help us to hear you for the Lord you are. The image of the invisible God. The one in whom all the fullness of the Father dwells. The firstborn over all creation. The firstborn from among the dead who reconciles us to himself. Help us to hear that this morning. Maybe you, as you sit here, have a splinter in your soul. You've never given it to the Father. He invites you to do that right here and right now. He is among us. He is the living God, and he's here for you. Offer that sin to him, and he will cleanse you of it right here and right now. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for who you are. Thank you for sending your son that we would know who you are. Thank you for calling Peter by name so that we would know you call us by name. We pray for that. We ask your blessing on your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with me, church? Mm. Yeah. If there's a splinter... In your soul. Bring it to the Father. Now may the love of God the Father and the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the fellowship of His Holy Spirit go with you throughout this week. Go with God. Tell someone you love Him. Have a great afternoon.